Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This is Good Morning Liberty. Well, what is up, all of our Liberty-loving friends? This is another fantastic episode of Good Morning Liberty. My name is Nate Thurston, and I'm joined today by a very special guest. My guest today is Sahar Tartak. Now, she's got a very interesting story, and she's going to tell it better than me, but I'll give you the rundown real quick. She got in a bit of a controversy when she was in her final year of high school. She's now a freshman at Yale. But I read an opinion piece that she wrote that was published by the Wall Street Journal to prepare for this interview. I watched interviews of her on Fox News and different channels like that. She took a stand when she was in high school, something that you don't see enough these days, but hopefully we'll see more of. So she's got a a very, very interesting story, has to do with critical race theory, some of the problems with dialogue and discourse that we're having in today's society. Sahar, how are you doing today? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing fine. Doing fine. You said that you're getting ready for class and you're at Yale. Is that right? Yeah, I'm a freshman here. I just started. How's that going for you so far? Is it a big shock? A lot of craziness going on? Ooh, that's a great question. It's honestly lovely. The student body here is really inquisitive, positive. People are also nice. Classes are interesting. There's like a lot of things to do. Um, A lot of freshmen run into the experience of like getting rejected by a lot of clubs, like right at the beginning. So that's an interesting Ivy League way to start your (laughs) college career. But besides that, I like it here. So maybe a little bit different than how your high school uh, career ended up turning out so far yeah more nice that's not to say that yale doesn't yale doesn't have similar scandals they do so for everyone that's listening uh we'll do what what you always have to do which is let everyone know a little bit of your backstory why we're talking today so i want to know a bit about you and your your personal backstory and then of course the reason that we're here talking today yeah absolutely so my name is sahar tartak i recently published an op-ed in the Wall Street Journal a couple months ago surrounding a lot of controversies basically about race and identity identity politics in the classroom. And I wrote about my experiences at my elite public high school in Long Island, specifically being in student government. And as a student government member, my school wanted us to fund, like out of with student funds, to fund a racial racial equity group to come to the school and speak about systemic racism. And I said that I wouldn't sign off on any check without getting more information about the group. And instead of giving me that information, the adults in charge under the instruction of the school administration basically bullied and berated me on our on our next student government meeting. So that's basically the background story. There's also a lot of we, my town has a lot of interesting family history, myself included. We can get into that. There's, it's just important to talk about dialogue and when it gets stifled. 
Now, beforehand, I mean, this was over, if I'm right, $375. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Out, of, out of student funds as well. And they were insisting that I just blindly sign off on a check. Are you by any chance interested in the position in our government? Because that kind of fiscal responsibility is lacking these days. <laughs> Honestly, I, I think that government work is cool. I think there's a lot of room to bring in a more, basically bring a more positive pro-dialogue culture. Before we get into all that controversy that happened, a lot of people, they'll they'll decide, they'll decide to assign a political ideology or some kind of background to you based on this controversy without knowing anything about you whatsoever. Sure. And so the, one of the things I wanted to know was, were you very political before this? Did you consider yourself political? Were you already taken a stance on a lot of things beforehand? Not, not in particular. I mean, I had, I had worked on, I had worked on campaigns, but at this point I've actually worked on campaigns um, across the aisle. So I try to stay nonpartisan. I have, I have like values that I think are also fairly nonpartisan, like those values basically being like open dialogue and, you know, discussion in good faith. So yeah, I would definitely say I faced a lot of like, it's really easy for people to shut the story down as like, you know, far right lunatics trying to censor lessons about slavery in school. But that so wasn't the case. As a matter of fact, I am I'm, I'm extremely familiar with oppression and persecution. My grandfather was a Holocaust survivor. My mom escaped revolutionary Iran. This was not about opposing the, the teaching of slavery in school. I don't think anybody opposes that. This was a question of how our school is going to navigate race and if they're going to start teaching opinion as fact. Because let's be honest here, the debate surrounding systemic racism is a debate of people with different opinions. People have differing opinions about the foundations of the country. People have different opinions about what racial race relations look like today. And it's important that we talk about it. And it's equally important that it doesn't get presented to like 17 year olds as as a fact that cannot be denied unless you're a racist. Yeah, one of the things you mentioned in the Wall Street Journal article was that they 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 asked if you would oppose someone coming and talking about the Holocaust and probably trying to use something personally against you that they that they thought that they could use against you, perhaps. Um, I, I just wanted to say, and I'm not speaking for you, I, I do feel like that's a little bit of a different situation. Someone, a Holocaust survivor coming and speaking uh, about the Holocaust. I don't think that they were asking for a a former slave to come and speak at your at your school. Um, it, it is, a, like you said, there's a little bit more opinion on this matter. There's a little bit more subjectivity about what the problems are in the country. And I don't know if that, if you ever brought that up to someone, like, hey, that's not a good analogy at all. Oh, that is what I said. And then I was immediately like shut down by like another ad hominem attack. And also I will add, and I haven't mentioned this in many interviews because there's so much to say here, that my school did a really poor job handling the Holocaust. Like we had a Holocaust survivor come in one year. People didn't like him because he, some people, a small minority of people didn't like him because they said that we would rather have like a more modern social justice activist. Um, and then next year, like the very next year on Holocaust Remembrance Day, he was not invited to return to the school. And like our vice principal made an announcement on the loudspeaker to the entire school. And I, I don't, I, this still boggles my mind and it will, it will boggle yours too. He said, today's National Chocolate Cake Day. 
I should, I should start a diet. On a more serious note, today is Holocaust Remembrance Day. And it's like, just stuff like this should remind us how performative some of this activism is. Like, sure, you can, you can berate me for questioning, you know, signing off on a check regarding systemic racism. Fine. That's a debate. But everybody will berate you for like poorly transitioning into the Holocaust from a joke about like your dietary needs. Yeah, I think you nailed it on the head there. This very performative and also with them not allowing that person to come back to the school the following year, it's it's got to be the right Holocaust survivors that come and talk about the right things, you know, like there's an agenda behind behind everything. It's it's not just about hearing someone's story. Uh, one of the things I liked a lot that you said was that you've always just valued discourse and, you know, people talking. Uh, even if you have differing opinions. And that's really what happened here was you weren't allowed to have a discussion about anything. And I wonder, it, you know, like I said, I don't know exactly what your political leanings are, but there's a lot of hyperbole out there about different sides. And you just wanted to ask some questions about something. That, that's it. And look at everything that was said about you because of it. And I'm sure you would agree that none of it was true. Do you think that that could be going on on a wider level in the country right now? Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. <laughs> it's it's a testament to how quick we are to make accusations when people when people question when people question things. It's a testament to to polarization, which really hurts a culture that I think relies on like pluralism and diverse opinions like this is not this is absolutely not the first time I've been attacked for for asking questions and it's my my friends experience the same thing also and this happened time and time again at my high school and it's it's worse when it's by like administrators with agendas that as we've gone over are also performative and then when you get in the way of this like facade that they're trying to put up they bully and threaten you like my friend didn't once refused to sign an anti-hate pledge that the school wanted everybody to sign because they probably get some kind of sticker i don't know there's probably some kind of like uh public reward that has to do with image when everybody signs the anti-hate pledge and my friend said no like this this again this is performative we don't have black teachers i'm not signing your anti-hate pledge and she was brought into the principal's office, made to sit at like a lower elevation than the adults in the room and asked if she asked if she supported hate. Like this is a true story. <laughs> wow. And, and and so you said you called the school you went to. You said it was an elite school. Right. And so I've, I've been wondering. Oh, it's a great school. Do you feel like do you feel like there was a large problem with racism at, at the school that was needing to be solved by these people coming and speaking? Oh, gosh. <laughs> Even if there were, that, that wasn't going to be solved by people coming and speaking. Like, to be frank, like, sure, there are members of the student body who behave poorly. I have a lot of Asian friends and they have been like called out on the street and it's horrific and disgusting. And that does not get addressed when people come and talk to us about broad ideas about like our privilege and and who the oppressor is and who the victim is, like, as opposed to just teaching us that we are maybe all human. Um, so, so honestly, yeah, like I would say that the district is not perfect and that the student body isn't perfect either. And that none of it gets addressed when they decide to civilize us and who's being civilized immigrant children. 
about like about our position in the country like that doesn't actually make us better people and it doesn't make us behave any better either well and i i worry that this wasn't really going on when i was in in high school this whole thing and i'll admit i i really don't have any personal examples on this because i there there were only white people at my school that that was it and, and so oh yeah it wasn't uh, it wasn't really a conversation uh, in my school but I worry that this creates division between people. Actually, the the critical race theory and calling out a group as oppressors and putting people in these tribes, do you think it can actually create more problems than it solves? Now a word from our sponsor, BetterHelp. Do you ever get stuck focusing on problems and not the solutions to those problems? I bet you do because that's totally normal. Heck, we talk about problems like 80% of the time on this show. But the day we spend talking about solutions, that's actually the most important one. I mean, seriously, we got so many things going on, the economy, society, our personal lives, of course. It can be tough to train your brain to stay in problem-solving mode, but there's no better feeling than learning how to find your own solutions. No matter how big or small, a therapist can help you become a better problem-solver. And honestly, it feels pretty weird to talk about therapy, as I do a lot on here. But I've done it, and it worked. I went through a really tough period a few years ago, and I still remember a couple pivotal things that my therapist told me. Today, I'm feeling better than ever, and I'm not afraid to tell everyone that therapy played a really big role in that transition. So if you're thinking of giving therapy a try, BetterHelp is a great option. It's convenient, accessible, affordable, and entirely online. Get matched with a therapist after filling out a brief survey, and you can switch therapists anytime. When you want to be a better problem solver, therapy can get you there. Visit BetterHelp.com GML today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp.com GML. Yes, I do think that it sows division. I think it does this in a couple of ways. The first one being that if you put somebody into the box of victimhood that will affect their mindset and their behavior towards other people. Like, again, I'm Jewish. My family has a horrible history of persecution. If I looked at Gentiles and viewed them as like a threat or as some sort of systemic oppressor, first of all, it wouldn't necessarily be accurate. Like in the United States, Gentiles on the whole do not participate in the oppression of my people. And you can, you can make, I guess you can make loose arguments against what I'm saying, and that would be fine. Like, let's have the argument. But even with that, if I took on, like, if I took on that feeling, then that would drastically impact my mindset and probably actually prevent me from from being ambitious, you know, achieving social mobility, because I would think that I'm like stuck when in reality, I'm not necessarily stuck. And worse so, I would think that the people around me are the reason that I'm stuck and the reason I'm in this horrific position. And then how, like, I don't get it. How could you realistically be friends with, with somebody who you who you genuinely believe like makes your life worse on a regular basis. It's a noble, it's a noble effort. Like, you know, I try to be friends with everybody, even the people who like don't smile back at me. But if I thought that the person in front of me was literally working to oppress my identity group, 
that would that would be hugely divisive. Like I don't see how it could be anything else. And the whole thing feels so backwards because uh, you know those specific people that you're talking about, they may have never done anything bad to you in your entire life, but your people are being told to place people in a group based on what their race is. And I feel like that's sort of the foundation of racism itself. And I, I don't see how it creates anything other than division and resentment in society. Yeah, and I would also add that it's not necessarily always accurate or appropriate. Like there are many, for instance, poor white people in the country who are don't have access to good public education and don't go to college and have to deal with teen pregnancy and drugs. And, and, and I go to Yale and Yale actually does this really great thing where they try to make sure that like students from those regions are also represented. So like, I've never spoken to like some like people from the Midwest with the experience that I'm reiterating to you. And recently I actually have like a lot. Um, and, and what I've learned was that they were like, they had in front of them a very unique set of struggles, also in a very isolated environment where, first of all, they wouldn't necessarily have the opportunity to oppress anybody else. And second of all, they were already dealing with the, with the trials and tribulations of being poor. And oftentimes, actually, like white people who are in that position hate being called privilege and put into that box because it's like, no, we have a really thorough struggle and it has nothing to do with our race. I can tell you that it, it, it causes problems because I'm from the Midwest and I was talking to someone online about this and they were calling me privileged. And I told them a little bit of my story. I grew up, I lived in the trailer park with a single mom who was a school teacher who put herself through college after she got a divorce. Uh, we, we were, you know, negative account balance all the time. And my, the response I received was, that's what all of you say. And that's a response. That's, um, you know, it, it's infuriating, I will say. And, and like, I can, I can rise above that kind of thing and just know that, uh, that people are, are wrong when they say that, but some people maybe can't, and that causes more hatred. And more and more division uh, when you negate someone else's actual experience that they went through. And it's like, how was I, how was I privileged? And it's funny you said they never had the opportunity to oppress anyone. There were only white people in the town I grew up in. It was a town of fifteen hundred people. Like that, yeah. You know who, who did I oppress? You know what did I do? But anyway, this uh, this isn't about me. But you're just you're hitting the nail on the head again, right there. That and and that causes more problems in society. Yeah. Also, it doesn't it doesn't actually solve like issues that are in front of us. Like, let's look at numbers and see like see how we can help people in the country who need our help. Like, I'm actually interested in policy and maybe even having the government like do good stuff. And that doesn't happen with rhetoric. And again, I would reiterate that that's why, for instance, my high school was lacking in black teachers. That yeah. seems like much more important, um, you know, at least especially to somebody who would take on an ideology surrounding systemic racism and oppression. It seems like not having black teachers is a more pertinent issue than, you know, teaching the student body about subjective narratives with systemic racism that will also probably go right over 
their heads. It's really because it's all a facade and a virtue signal, in, in my opinion, to try and make themselves look better when uh, they might also be part of the problem. And speaking of that, did anyone ever define what systemic racism meant? Because it is a subjective term, and I've heard it used in all sorts of different ways. And uh, yeah. you can look at outcomes. You could look at the demographic population. You could look at inequality between people, and you could say that is systemic racism. Or like for me, what I want to do is point to very specific institutionalized things that have happened in, in the past. Uh, and if those things still exist right now, then, then that is systemic uh, right there. That, but I'm throwing in my opinion right now. Did anyone ever tell you what they meant by that term? Do you mean in this situation with my student government? Yeah, when they were trying oh. to convince you to have these people no, come no, and no, speak, no. like what were they going to talk about? Yeah, that, that question was like never answered. Yeah, it just keywords, systemic racism. They're going to come and talk, check off the box. I, and I, I agree. And it can mean so many things. And part of part of what I said to them was like, was like teachers, I'm I'm serving a constituency. And if you want me to fund something that the constituency may have reason to like loathe or that half the constituency might loathe and half might love or a quarter and three quarters and so on and so forth. I'm not going to do that. Like I'm keep like, I want to keep the school nonpartisan and this isn't, listen, this isn't to bash teachers. Like my dad is, my dad is a teacher. They are awesome. These particular teachers were being guided by the school administration. So I have to know because the things these, you've got a lot of principles and for someone of your age, and I mean, no offense by that. I feel old right now because I'm probably like 15 years older than you are, but it's rare. I didn't have any principles when I was in high school. I'm just, yeah, sure. Let's go do whatever. I didn't really care. Where did you get this? Where, where did you get this philosophy? Did that come from your parents? Did that come from friends or is it just a natural thing that, that you grew up with? Oh, I've got, yeah, no, I have, I've had a couple of, you know, experiences. So I, I was fortunate to have been in a friend group in high school that like really valued dialogue and political discussion. And they were always like, you know, everybody there was and is light years ahead of me. <laughs> so it's, it's humbling to get to listen to other people that helps. My family also has a strong belief in like not bullying. We, I was also raised with dialogue in that household. And it wasn't like I could necessarily write these things down like on a sheet of paper. But then when you have negative experiences that, that um, aren't in line with your values, it forces you to recognize what's wrong. So when I was, when, when the school was trying to force my hand to sign this check, I needed to like find the words to figure out why and how this was problematic. And, you know, the same way when I wanted to write an article and the op-ed in the Wall Street Journal, I needed to, you know, put down on paper why this is problematic. When I was on a campaign for a board of education seat for somebody, again, you need to make advertisements. Like, basically, like, these situations force you to put it down and, like, just figure out what you want to say and why it's important. I also took a really good uh, AP U.S. government and politics class where we got to, like, read a lot of like the Federalist Papers and get to know like the foundational debate that kind of created this country. And that made me realize 
like the importance of humility when we're talking about like big issues. Cause like the founding fathers themselves recognized that we were going to be governing a country like by, you know, men over men was the language that they used. And so they created checks and balances against themselves. That's extremely humble. That's a recognition of our own faults. So it's, yeah, it's, I made a lot of observations. Yeah. I, I, I love what you're saying about the founding fathers. I mean, they clearly were not perfect, made a lot of bad decisions, but I do, I am still amazed that the, a bunch of these young people got together and wrote this pretty short thing called the constitution. And it's mostly held up pretty good over the last 250 years, longer than other countries' constitutions. It's a, it's a pretty amazing thing to me. Um, I want to know about, so this, you, you take this stand and at that point, did you think I'm going to be writing an op-ed in the Wall Street Journal? I'm going to be on Fox News. I'm going to be on all kinds of different news channels. People are going to know my name. I'm going to be talking about this for years to come. What has this whirlwind been like? Yeah, since no, this that's happened? that's such a great question. The answer is like certainly not. I can basically give you the timeline here. So we had this, you know, I had this horrific experience with my school and with my teachers and we made really like me and my family alike made exhaustive efforts for change. Like we met with administrators. Uh, one of my close friends literally ran for student government office so that he could join me in this largely thankless fight and try to put together a school constitution so that this could never happen again. And so that was, that was a process. It was extensive. Nothing came of it. And then finally, I found out about an upcoming board of education meeting where parents were going to be protesting uh, another another controversial um, basically issue in the school, which was curricula. They had there was a leaked presentation that a teacher was giving again under the like permission of the school administration. But the blame always the teachers always take the blame. Um, and this was this was again like the same basically narrative like America is as racist today as it is 200 years ago as it was things about white privilege oppression it ended in like a pledge like an ideological pledge and like students had to take the pledge and this was totally presented as like fact and not not opinion like I asked my friend who was in the class anyways that exploded like at our next board of education meeting so I heard about the meeting I was like mm, this is probably my chance to like talk about like what happened with me. And it was the day of the meeting, I think, that I found out that it was happening. And I told my mom and dad, like, guys, I'm going to I'm going to expose what happened to me. And my mom said, Sahar, you are in your senior year of high school. You're applying to colleges and I don't want them to torture you anymore. And I said, Mom, they can't do this to another kid. I am not going to let this happen to another kid. And that was that. So I spoke at the board of ed, that video went, kind of blew up in my hometown and the story moved forward from there. I wasn't expecting any of this. Do you, do you want all, all of it now? Do you, or do you wish that this just would have never happened? Ooh, I mean, if not me, then, then somebody else. And I, that's the thing. Like I was like, yeah, I wasn't super strong, but I was fairly strong willed and I had my family supporting me. So it was almost perfect that this really bad experience happened to me. 
like, yeah, yeah, again, like it was awful. But but no, I, I don't wish it never would have happened because now the school now the school is in the public eye and they cannot do this again. And now other schools know that if they do this, they can get in trouble for it and that bullying there are whistleblowers, essentially. And like, does any whistleblower want to be in the position where they have to like blow a whistle because bad things are happening? No, I love my school district. I love my hometown. I love the people there. I wish none of this divisive nonsense was going on, but it is. See, it's all, it's also important that you stood up and said something about it because some of the worst things throughout history happened because people didn't tell the truth because they didn't stand up when they needed to. And I'm not, you know, I'm not comparing the, what, uh, people coming and speaking at your school to some of the worst atrocities in history, but that is how things start. Uh, you you see something and you just decide that you're going to go along to get along, just push through. I can get through this, and it's not going to affect me. And like like you said, your mom said, "I don't want them to to, to torture you. I don't want this to make your college years harder." And you decided you were going to stand up and say something about it, and. That's what we're really lacking right now. And I'm glad that there's a change in that, in that district now. And you're also working on other things, right? Like with the, uh, the foundation against intolerance and racism. Did I get that right? Yeah. I'm a fellow with, with the foundation against intolerance and racism or fair. They're a civil liberty, liberties organization that basically like me wants to make sure that everybody has the opportunity to say their piece and, you know, move away from a more, more polarized culture where we're at right now. Um, it's good to have, it's good to have institutional like backing in these situations. It's like really important not to go through it alone. Like, yeah, my, my family was helpful, but when we needed to submit like a, a legal request for more information from the school district, I don't know how to write that up, but, but fair does, they have lawyers. So yeah, I've been working a bunch with them. And so what, yeah, so what exactly do they do? They, because I assume in your situation, what could have happened was the school could have just bullied you until you eventually gave in or you gave up your, uh, you were the treasure, right? And you just gave that up and they got someone else to do it. Uh, instead, you were, you stood up against everything, but this might happen in other places around the country. And like you said, people don't have those resources. They don't, they don't know what legally they can do in that situation. And, and so fair, they can contact fair and, the, and they'll help out. Yeah, they can and should. And even if this isn't going on right now, like fair has a lot of ways to make sure that it doesn't cut that. Like this plague doesn't reach you. Like you, like there are really active ways to have like, for instance, good, healthy, diversified curricula surrounding race relations and fair has like created some of that they also do activist work like writing amicus briefs to the supreme court um and uh, you know other letters to institutions when they aren't being i guess what we could say like pro-human is what fair would say and yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a good idea to reach out. They do chapters, like they have chapters around the country, a bunch of them too. And uh, one more thing I wanted to, to ask before we do finish up, I want to make sure you make it to class on time. Um, Thank you. And this might be a tough, uh, a tough question. I don't know if you've been asked it before. How do we actually solve systemic racism, uh, given that that, uh, assuming that that is a problem in the, in the country? 
if you were talking to some of those people who said all these terrible things about you and you do actually care about this as a problem, but it's important to actually do the right things that would have the right outcome, what would that be? Sure. It's no, it, it's a really good question. And it's hard because the country like constantly implements government policies to try to alleviate disparity and sometimes they fail and sometimes they don't. So I think the answer is like, is like real and rigorous research about policy and about policies that can have a positive impact. So this is like, I read John McWhorter's book, wrote, uh, Woke Racism, um, my senior year of high school. And he ends the book by said, with the exact question that you have, like, if, if somebody calls you a racist, you need, a, the, you need to like, look at them and be able to say like, I do more, I do more for systemic racism in this country than you do. And that requires some knowledge of like maybe supporting certain policies. So I think that like one thing that he discussed was like different uh, better ways to teach students to read like at a young age, which impacts social mobility, which then impacts you're going to college, which then impacts your job and so on and so forth. So there's a lot of like there are probably a lot of really early level things that we could do um, just for all students that would have like a positive impact. I also think a lot of this is about like, again, having a culture where we really support and believe in social mobility and work towards that, whether in policy or just in our like, again, in our social culture, like really having being like, like approving of and acknowledging the reality of the American dream. Like my mother came to this country not knowing English when she was 17 and she became a doctor in a foreign language. People can do it. People do do it. I don't know. It's there, there are so many answers. I just know that the answer is not to berate people who don't like your answer. Like we're working in good faith here. Yeah. Hate will uh, probably not end up with love hate hate versus hate if you're worried about hating people um i don't think that more hate is the answer i think it's going to cause more problems and it's actually going to solve personal responsibility that's a big thing and the the american dream i mean that people people come here chasing that dream for a reason people still come here chasing that dream because they see that it's uh, their their best option and uh, i i do think that we need some gratitude for the situation that we are in you know, uh, that we yeah. don't, we don't particularly appreciate where, where we are, even though it's not perfect and, uh, just more talking, more, more dialogue about all of this. So, um, where can people go to keep track of what you're doing? Ooh, I like this question because I'm not really on social media because I think it's a sewer, but I am on LinkedIn. <laughs> so I, I do upload a lot of my stuff to LinkedIn, which is not like classic social media. But if you reach out to me on LinkedIn, I'll probably respond. And then I'm sure I will respond. I'm sure Fair has a website that I can link to in the show notes also if they're interested in what yes. they're doing. So I'll make sure I do Absolutely. that. Absolutely. All right. So, so hard. Thank you so much for your time today. Uh, get the class. Keep working. You're doing a great job. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much.